Have you all been reading the story about the guy who went over to the pizza shop on uh, uh, Connecticut Avenue and went over there with some sort of assault rifle and planning to clean up the place, find out if they were doing something more than pizza over at that place. And so I've been thinking a lot about him, to be honest with you. I've uh, been interested in all how false news spreads, but that's not the point, of this, uh, my, not the point I'm trying to make today. I, I've been feeling for this guy, to be honest with you. Uh, if I read it correctly, he's got children down in Statesville, North Carolina, and so he's separated from them during this time of the season. I, my, my wife and I, our two adult daughters, are going to come and be with us at Christmas time, and I tell you, it is just the best of all things to have both girls at our home for two nights. You know, that's the gift from God right there, the best thing that can happen in the world. And I've been thinking about them in light of that, because he's going to be in jail. This guy's not going home. He's not going home before Christmas. And you have to wonder, you have to wonder, what is he thinking? What is he thinking while he is in jail here in the District of Columbia? I read the interview that the New York Times had with him. Uh, that was, I think, a phone interview that they had with him. And they asked him, why did you do it? Why did you go ahead and do this? And he said, well, I guess I got some bad intel. In other words, I guess I got some bad intelligence report. And that was his answer for it. So I'm sorry, I'm sorry for this man. I think, I think I've thought a lot about him. John the Baptist is in jail in our story today. He's in jail and he's got to be wondering what's happened. What's happened to everything that I predicted? What's happened to all of the intelligence that I've been getting? What's happened to all the things that I was hoping would happen in my life? He's stuck in Herod's jail, and he's stuck in Herod's jail not because he's been preaching the good news to people, but because he told everybody that it was a sin for Herod to marry his brother's wife. And because of that, they've thrown him in jail. And if you read a little bit forward on Matthew's gospel, you'll find out he's about to get beheaded, and he knows it. So he's in a heap of trouble. He's in a heap of trouble, and he's asking himself some questions. Is all this worth it? Is everything that I've done worth it? Did I get it all wrong? What's happened? What's happened? For those of you who have ever traveled to the Holy Land with our church, you know that we, we had an opportunity to visit uh, uh, jail, the jail from those days. And it really sits on, at the bottom of a building. And at the bottom of the building, there's just a hole at the very bottom of the building with an opening at the very top. It's kind of like the dome here. There's a do Instead of stained glass windows, there would be an opening there. And the people would then, because remember the government didn't bring him food. There was no food served in jail in those days. His friends and his family would lower food. They would lower uh, uh, something to drink down. And that would be what he, how he was going to get his, uh, how he was going to get to be able to eat. And not only that, but that's how he got all his news. Anything about what was going on outside the world came through his friends. And they were telling him some things about Jesus, about the things that Jesus was doing, about the things that Jesus was explaining to people, and they were not at all, at all, what John the Baptist had predicted. Not, nothing was happening like John the Baptist has predicted. And so John the Baptist had his expectations. He wanted the Messiah to come with an ax and start chopping things up. He wanted the Messiah to come with fire and start burning everything up. But Jesus does not meet his expectations. I don't know if you've ever been in jail. I've never been in jail, thank God. But I've had some friends who have spent time in jail. And one of the things that they have all told me is that while they're in jail, they experience that all of the, everything about the reality they've known becomes unclear. 
Everything they know about reality has become murky. Everything they've known about life becomes confused. He said, that's the past. My friend told me, that's the bad part. The good part is you start examining everything. The good part, you start examining everything about your life and you want to say, well, how can I do my life better than the life that I've had before I entered here? If you've ever read the autobiography of Malcolm X, we don't have to agree or disagree on Mark, Mark, Malcolm X. That's not the point of the sermon today. But if you read that, he'll tell you in that autobiography that uh, it was in jail, that jail perhaps may have been the best thing that ever happened to him because he got to reconsider the purpose of his life. He got to reconsider what was going to happen in his life, and he ded dedicated himself to a change in his life. And you wonder about John the Baptist, don't you? And the way that John the Baptist expresses it is this. I want to send you, my disciples, remember he can't get out of jail. And John the Baptist has disciples just like Jesus has disciples. And so he tells his disciples with that rope coming down, maybe he wrote it down as a message, send it right back up. And he said, I want you to ask Jesus some questions. And the main question that I want you to ask him is this. Are you the one or is there another one coming along? Did I get it wrong? Are you the one, or should we expect another kind of Messiah? Did I get it wrong? I thought you were it, but you are a total, total disappointment. From the John the Baptist's perspective, the Messiah was supposed to change things. He was supposed to burn up the human trash. He was to chop up all the dead wood of the world. He was supposed to come up with a sharp axe, a gleaming pitchfork, and clear up things the good guys from the bad guys were going to clear up. John the Baptist wanted him to come and talk about sin and death and punishment. And what he was hearing, that Jesus was talking about love, about forgiveness, about grace. I have to tell you that I think this is John the Baptist's Calvary. Just like Jesus goes through a Calvary, he goes through a Calvary, like all of us go through a Calvary. Jesus' language is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I just didn't expect it to end this way. John the Baptist is using, this is his Calvary, he's saying, are you the one? Or should be waiting for another? Are you really the one? Or is the one who was to come really going to chop things up? I don't know if you've ever read the book, The Temptation of Christ. It's a really great little book. And in The Temptation of Christ, there's an episode there where John the Baptist, uh, John the Baptist encounters Jesus. And they're having a conversation. And John the Baptist keeps going back to him and saying, you're going to chop up wood? You're going to burn the shaft? Are you going to do this? Are you going to do that? And Jesus' response, I'm paraphrasing here, says, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Finally, in the episode, what I remember is that John the Baptist is using his hands like a hand chop like this. Well, you need to go and chop the wood. You need to burn the shaft. You need to do this. You need to do that. And Jesus' response is just classic. And he said, if I were a fire, I would burn. If I were a woodcutter, I would strike. But I am a heart, and I love. That's the response. That's Jesus' response. You and I both know that we followers of the Christ know that love is the name of God's game and that freedom is the precondition of love. You and I both know that force can contain evil, 
but it can never, ever destroy it. And you and I both know that forgiveness and love alone have the power to make things right. All of us have gone through some of this, haven't we? How many of us have not created a Messiah of our own illusions? How many of us have not created a Messiah that we wish would come along and do the things we want the Messiah to do for us? I do, you know, every once in a while. I don't know if you've ever wondered why Jesus was born a baby, why God's human, uh, God in human form was born coming as a baby. I would have much preferred one of those Greek gods, wouldn't you? I would have preferred one of those Greek gods in some huge chariot, spitting uh, flame on one side, uh, everything else on the other side, destroying everybody that I don't like. I've got a long list. (laughs) You know, I like for God to come along in that chariot, sort of like an ancient form of James Bond automobile shooting up everybody, bombing everything inside that you don't like. All the evil people are getting wiped out. That's what I want. That's what I wish the Messiah would be. But you know how Jesus, how God chooses to come on earth? This is what we're celebrating two weeks from today. You know how Jesus comes and chooses to be with us? He comes as a baby. And I've asked myself the question, what kind of a God is that? How can you possibly come as a baby among us? Don't you know anything about power? Don't you know anything about force? I have to tell you, I don't have an answer to my question. One day when I see God face to face, I'll ask him that question. I said, what's going on with you? The only thing that I can think is this, that Jesus is born a baby so that you and I can grow up. Any one of us who has ever had a child, the blessing of a child, know this. When that child is born, you got to grow up fast. And there is no time to speculate. There is no time to wander. You've got to grow up fast, and you've got to be responsible, responsible. In our case, responsible to the will of God. And that's what I think God expects from us. That's what God gives us, the freedom to choose how we're going to live our lives. I'd be glad to surrender some of my freedom for a little bit of security, aren't you? The earth can't stand a whole lot more of uh, non-godly security, it seems like. I know that God put us in charge of creation. That was a good idea, but it's not working out very well. And if you're like me, I would prefer a little bit of God's power to show up. But that's not the way God responds. God responds in two weeks with a baby, inviting each and every one of us to be responsible, acting on behalf of God, response-able, able to respond to the will of God. I think John the Baptist is included in our story today so that we can review our requirements of who God is and maybe recognize them as our own fictions, things we tell ourselves to make ourselves feel safe or good or comfortable. I think what's happening to John the Baptist when he says, are you the one or the one who is to come? He is experiencing disillusionment. And disillusionment is not all bad. Disillusionment in our lives is not all bad because it's losing an illusion. 
And an illusion is nothing but the lies we have created for ourselves in order to create some sort of a world in which we feel better. I think Jesus' response to John the Baptist is less a rebuke than it is a gracious invitation to modify expectations of what God in Christ is doing in our lives. And he says to him, And blessed are those who take no offense at me. Blessed are those who do not let the Messiah they are expecting blind them to the Messiah who is standing in front of them. Blessed are those who keep a list of what God is doing and not only what God is not doing on your behalf. Blessed are those who are not afraid to revise their plans for hope being born against in their life, pushing against their disillusionment into a place of a new and clearer and truer vision. Is Jesus the one to come, or should we wait for another? You have to decide for yourselves. But the invitation is there for all of us, an invitation to cast away all of our illusions of life and prepare and wait for the experience of a living God being born again in our hearts one more time as a child, as a child representing God's love, God's mercy, and God's grace. Amen.